What an incredible story of how God is using Village Bible Church and the campuses of Village Bible Church to change lives and how God uses all kinds of signs, even physical signs, to draw people um, to himself. And that's what uh, we are all about here is discovering uh, disciples for uh, Jesus Christ. And we do that through so many different ministries and mechanisms. And one of the ways that the Sugar Grove campus did that this Christmas was our women's Christmas dinner. And what an amazing night of uh, celebration that was. It was an Irish Christmas theme uh, with Irish dancers and singers. Uh, we had over 300 ladies enjoying dinner and fellowship in this room. And what an amazing, amazing night. And what makes it even greater was a third of our ladies did not attend Village Bible Church. And so they were invited to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from one of our own, Sherry Chapman, spoke about what it means to experience Jesus this Christmas. And so would you be in prayer, not only for uh, those that are coming to our campuses uh, through the many stories of life change that are taking place, but also uh, for these women that came and participated in a great event, an event that pointed people uh, to Jesus. Well, today, this Sunday, is a very special Sunday for the life of the church. If you've been around Village Bible Church for a year or longer, you know that on this Sunday, uh, we dedicate it and designate it as All In Sunday. For 51 weeks out of the year, we say very little about giving uh, back to the ministry and to uh, God, but on one Sunday out of the year, amidst the celebration of Christmas, we take time to say as a congregation that Jesus is truly what Christmas is all about and to give back uh, to Jesus in that way as a sign of our love and affection for the indescribable gift of Jesus that was given at Christmas. Maybe this morning you're new to Village Bible Church or a visitor and what you're going to see happen later in our service is an opportunity for our church family to come forward and give their gifts. We are not obligating you in any way to do that. We're so glad you are here and want you to participate in this uh, service and to hear how you can grow in your trust of God and experience Jesus this Christmas. But as a church family, we see it as our great opportunity. And so what I want to do is use our time in God's Word this morning to speak to the very emotion and the process by which one gives a gift like this and what's behind it. And the answer is trust. It's trust. And this morning we're gonna talk through the life of Joseph what it means to trust God. You see, we're in this series that we've entitled Christmas is dot, dot, dot. Last week, Pastor Phil got us started talking about Christmas being giving. But let's just be honest, and I love our creative team and how they put these thoughts together. Christmas is dot, 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 because we put in that space all manner of things. Christmas is food. Christmas is festivities. Christmas is um, songs or movies. Christmas is shopping. Christmas is the decorations. We can fill our Christmas season with all kinds of good things, and I am not demonizing those in any way. Our family loves those things, but as Christ followers, we must recognize that Christmas is Jesus. It's all about him. Everything that we do, everything that we sing, every piece of food that we eat is to the glory of the one who has set us free. Now I was struck as, I, as we talked as a teaching team about this series because 
our sermon titles are a bit different in as much as Christmas is giving. And, and someone who maybe is a little more astute might say, no, Christmas is Jesus. Why would you say it's giving or, or trusting or sharing or serving? And those are the four things we'll look at. Because that's how the Bible brings out the truths of Christmas. Have you ever thought this most stupendous of events, Jesus coming and putting on flesh and making his dwelling among us, the incarnation, surely we should have just a book of the Bible that talks about that in very theological terms, how we are to go about worshiping and celebrating that incredible, that miraculous event. For those that are maybe Bible students, you would think that uh, the story of Christmas would be told in epistle form, that the apostle Paul or Peter would have dedicated a letter to the church about that, but, but that's not how we're introduced to the incarnation. That's not how we're told the story of Christmas. In fact, the gospel writers, except for John, speaks of the incarnation in the lives of people how the incarnation, Christ coming as our Savior, changed the way we look at things, changed the way we live, changed the way we worship. And so in light of it, we hear stories, stories of people's lives, stories of life change, that they experienced the Jesus of Christmas and they did something the wise men gave. The shepherds shared Mary served, and Joseph trusted. You see, the way that we celebrate Christmas is how we respond to the truth of Jesus. Christmas is Jesus, and it means we give. It means we trust. It means we share. It means we serve. And can I ask you this morning, is that your response this Christmas? In your calendar of things, do you have giving more, trusting more, sharing more, serving more to Jesus and about Jesus on your list of things to do? This is how people celebrated Christmas. And we come to Matthew chapter one this morning that helps us to recognize, especially on a Sunday like this, all in Sunday, to remember that what we're talking about is trust. Here's what Matthew says about the birth of Jesus. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, that is engaged to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, 
He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In Joseph, we have one of the best human pictures of what it means to trust God. Did you know that trust in our world today is at an all-time low? We don't trust like we used to. In fact, our trust in almost every institution has dropped precipitously in these last years. Maybe it's because of the pandemic. Maybe we're just becoming more and more cynical, but almost everything involving life, we've lost confidence and trust in, whether it's right before us or far from us. I'm sad to say that number five or six on the list is the church or organized religion, losing five percentage points of trust in just two years. In some ways, as a small business manager, I have more people trust me more in my catering realm than they trust me in the preaching and pastoring realm. We're having a hard time trusting people. As Americans, this is something that uh, our trust is eroding in many ways even more than other parts of the world. We are by no means the leaders on the trust factor. There are other countries, even just the country to the north of us, has a higher level of trust of its neighbors than we do. The Norwegians carry a high level of trust uh, for the world around them. I don't know why that is, but maybe there's something to be learned there. But we lack trust. In fact, with all of our rule of law and with all, all of the peace that we have, you would think it'd be easy for us as Americans to trust. But did you know that a study was done asking how many people you as an individual trust and the number came in, would you imagine this? 1.6 to 1.8% or people. So I take it you trust your spouse, I would hope that and then a half of a person, or three quarters of another person that you may trust. You're telling me, with all of our family and friends, with, with all of our connections, that we can only trust on average 1.6 to 1.8 people in our sphere of influence? Now, this trust issue is an issue that separates us by ages. The baby boomers, they're a far more uh, trusting group of people Millennials, for some reason, I don't mean to demonize the millennials in our midst, but you struggle with trusting as an age bracket. You're a bit more cynical about people, cynical about uh, institutions and, and, and individuals, and, and as a result of that, we have to ask the question, what does the Bible say about trust? Well, it's pretty unique, because the Bible speaks of trust 134 different times. And usually the Bible speaks well of trusting God, and it seems to diminish kind of what we're learning, the idea of trusting one another. And what I mean by that is the Bible says we should be able to trust one another, no doubt in the closest relationships of life, but the Bible reserves ultimate trust to God. That's why the psalmist says some trust in horses and chariots, but our trust should be in the Lord. And so the Bible seems to reserve our greatest and most trust that we are to give to anyone or anything in this world is to God. Now, the Hebrews had seven different words that describe trust that we have one. 
They saw trust as something far more far-reaching than maybe we give credit for in our own vernacular. But trust is a brother or a cousin to another word we use in the church, and that's faith. To have faith in God means we trust God. We believe what he has said. Now, what does the Bible say? If I was to uh, whittle down the word trust from the biblical perspective, it would be literally this, to throw oneself down upon. To throw oneself down upon. Now, that doesn't seem to make much sense, but you've already done it this morning. As you came into this place, you threw yourself down into the chairs that you're sitting in. And you did so because you trust the chair. You have confidence that the chair will hold you. Now, I I don't imagine any of you are hovering right now. But here's the amazing thing. I didn't see any of you when you came into this place picking up the chair, looking at the chair, making sure that the welds on the chair were just right, maybe looking and seeing what the seat capacity of the chair is. Why? Because we sit in a lot of chairs and it's a very rare thing for a chair to break. So we blindly just go and sit and, and don't even think about it. But we are trusting, we are throwing ourselves down upon something, believing it will hold us. But it's amazing what happens when something we trust falls. My mother-in-law had invited us to Christmas one year at their new home in Galena, and I went up there and she had a new dining room set. You know where this is going, right? (laughs) And I remember sitting at Christmas table, at the Christmas table when dinner was being served, and I remember my seat wasn't just right, and so I just moved the seat, not really moving my weight or anything more off of it, but just kind of shuffling the chair. And I remember hearing the ominous and I went down. My mother-in-law said, what did you do? Can I tell you, there's not a dinner experience there that I don't think about the chairs I'm sitting in. (laughs) Why? Because trust has been broken. I don't have confidence in those chairs like I should. They've let me down. Well, friends, we have a passage in front of us where a man feels completely let down. He feels like his confidence and trust in the woman he loved was lost. And beyond that, he was a man who had followed God up to this point. And so we have to imagine that his trust in God, God, how could you allow something like this to happen and yet what we see is that he trusted God he threw himself upon God and that's what I want us to see today you see trusting God and this is in your outlines trusting God means abiding and resting in him it involves discerning his goodness and grace can I just stop here for a second and say you will not trust God to the level that God wants you to trust him until you have seen him until you have tasted him until you've experienced him that you've looked at him you've seen you've discerned what he says and seen what he's fulfilled and as you grow in your knowledge of God the more your trust will grow and here's why because you discern his goodness and greatness 
And you know that you, when you put yourself in God's hands, are gonna be protected, embraced, and surrounded by him in that goodness and greatness. And this will happen no matter the circumstances. So let me ask this morning, do you trust God? Do you trust God in the quiet times and in the loud times? Do you trust God when things are easy? Do you trust God when things are hard? Do you trust God when things make sense? Do you trust God when they make no sense at all? Do you trust God when you know what to do? Do you trust God when you don't know what to do? Do you trust God when everybody is doing what they're supposed to? Do you trust God when nobody's doing what they need to? How do we know if we're trusting God? Well, let me give you just quick, very quick three things. Number one, there are three tests that I would want you to take with regards to trusting God. Number one, priority. Priority. You know whom or what you trust based on where you go when you're in need. What is the priority? Who is uh, the first person you call? Who is the first person you turn to? What is the thing you go after when you're in need? For some, it's a person. Maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, maybe a child. They're your first call. For others of us, it's, it's our bank accounts. It's trusting. As long as there's money in the bank, money takes care of a lot of woes. For still others, and maybe we won't be willing to admit it, but we, we trust that bottle of booze or that bottle of pills. We trust those things to, to change our circumstances, to change the conditions of our lives. But God says, put all those things away. I want you to trust me. I should be your priority. Number two, trust is found in close proximity. We trust the things that we're closest to. And so maybe you're not trusting God. Well, how close are you to God? How well do you know him? Are you experiencing him? We have difficulty trusting things that are far away. That's why some of the things that we didn't trust at the very bottom were big business and politicians. Why? Because they live and they are so far away from us. There's separation. And the greater separation, the greater lack of trust. And for some of us, we're separated from God. We're not in close proximity. We're not abiding and resting in God. And therefore, our trust in God is lacking because he's far away. He seems distant. He doesn't seem trustworthy. Finally, trust involves a history test. You see, we trust the things that we've known for a long period of time. We don't trust strangers to the same level we trust people that we've lived life together with for years. If you were to think about the person you trust most, I would imagine you didn't uh, get to know them two weeks ago. You've known them for a long period of time. You've logged a lot of hours with them and your trust continues to grow with the more history that you've had. What God wants us to do is God wants us to be the priority of where we turn to, to who we can trust. He wants us to be in close proximity so that we can be trusting him all the more. And he wants to log a history with us 
so that we can trust him in the good times and in the bad. Now enter Joseph. Joseph is living his life. What we know of Joseph is very little. He was from a city called Nazareth. He was of the line of David. He was a carpenter. That is all we know. Up to this point, we now know that he's pledged to a woman. He's engaged to a woman. He's about to get married. Now, engagement, betrothal in the Middle Eastern world is a serious thing both then and now. In some ways, the engagement is even more important than the wedding itself. The wedding is the exclamation point of the betrothal process. Joseph, no doubt, had had his... Um, Sights on Mary, could have been an arranged marriage, could have been something that just happened through happenstance, we don't know. But he had given his commitment to her. The engagement ceremony would involve his friends, it would involve family, it would involve the community. He pledged to her, I am going to go and prepare a place for you, and when the place is set, I will come back to take you to be with me forever. Does that sound familiar, John 14? Jesus is talking Middle Eastern betrothal words. I go to prepare a place for you. That's what uh, grooms-to-be did. Pledge to their spouse. They would go and build a house. So Joseph, being a carpenter, is building his home to go and receive his bride. But somewhere with that on the horizon... Mary comes to Joseph. Now, we're not told that, but from everything we know of this situation, it seems hard-pressed to believe that Mary went and told everybody else but Joseph and that Joseph heard through the gossip mill. What most surely must have taken place is that Mary had heard from Gabriel, and the first place she went was to Joseph. And she says to Joseph, her fiancé, I am with child." Hold it. You're what? This whole time I've been building our lives, building our home. You're gallivanting with other men. Are you, are you kidding? Am I hearing you? You seem to be a righteous woman. You seem to have all of your spiritual ducks in a row. And this is the word you have to share with me? You've been unfaithful. Now the Bible says right away that Joseph was a just man. Just in this context means he was righteous, he was upright, he adhered to moral integrity, he, he held himself to the highest standards of God's law, he upheld righteous principles, he was a man who did what was right in the eyes of God. And so this man hears that his life has fallen apart. Let's not sanitize this. This man is standing in front of a woman who has ruined his life. From his vantage point, Mary has made him a laughing stock. Mary has taken the months of him building the blood, sweat, and tears and has trampled it underfoot. And the Bible says he was a just man. And here's why I believe he was a just man, because he trusted God. Point number one, my friends, this morning is we are called to trust God in the calm and chaotic moments of life. Joseph was a just man before all this unfolded with Mary, and he was a just man through it. Listen to me. 
You will not trust God in the chaotic moments of life if you're not trusting him in the calm moments of life. Did you hear me? Some of us think, well, I'll trust God when the accident happens. I'll trust God when the problem arises. I'll trust God when troubles, clouds of storms come my way. You will not trust God. You need history with God. And you need history with God in the small things of life. So can I just tell you a couple things that, that Joseph did? Number one, he trusted God in as much as this. He trusted God's ways and not his own flesh and remained pure before marriage. The text tells us, Matthew shares with us, that they had not been together. But they were dating. Isn't that what dating people do? Surely they were engaged. Isn't that what engaged people do? Uh, The lines, God doesn't really care. No, Joseph was a just man. He trusted his sexual life to the God who created him. And God said that sex was for one man, one woman, a husband and wife for a lifetime, and that's where it stays. And Joseph, through the black and white right here, it says he waited. We don't talk about that at Christmas. Moral purity. Why? Because he trusted God and not his feelings. He trusted God and not his buddies. He trusted God and not what he saw in media. I know I'm stretching that a little bit. But he trusted God. Number two, he trusted God when this word came. He trusted God and he followed the law. Our trusting of God is to trust his word. Now notice what it says. When he hears this word, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved in his heart to divorce her quietly. The law said that if you were to find a a, a fiancé to be unchaste, you could get a certificate of divorce. Now that was the nice way of dealing with it. The more difficult way is you could put her under public scrutiny, take her before the religious leaders of the community, and she could be stoned. We see that in the passage in the Gospel of John of the woman caught in adultery. That's what Joseph could have done to Mary. Put her before a public spectacle. A private divorce would have been between the two fathers and them alone. And it could have been for a variety of reasons and and by establishing that there was a divorce that was amicable between the fathers, that nothing was to be addressed because the offended had been taken care of. So in essence, it wiped the slate clean. Joseph could go his way. Mary would have the child and the family would take care of that and nobody was to talk about it. This is what Joseph says. I don't want to put her to shame, so I'll do what the law of the Lord says. I'll divorce her and I'll even do it quietly. He was a just man because he trusted the law of the Lord. God said, if you want this, you can do this. I've created this provision and he followed it. And he followed it in an even more gracious way than what was required of him. Number three, he trusted God in as much as when he heard what must have been a heartbreaking moment. Imagine for a moment the woman that you've loved, the man you've loved says, I've been with another. Some men would trust their anger and would lash out and swing and hit. Maybe he would use his words and he would 
to moralize her emotionally. But Joseph, there's no mention of any of that. Being a just man. So what was he trusting? He was trusting that when someone wronged him that it was God's to repay. And some of us have been wronged by people and we're unwilling to trust God in that because we want revenge. Joseph hears this life-altering, heartbreaking story and scenario and he doesn't retort to his own anger. He trusts God. Now, all of that, no doubt, is going through his mind and notice what happens. He goes and he considers all these things. That word consider literally is the Greek word enthumeomai, and it speaks of a deep and profound pondering or thinking on things. It speaks of an active process. Enthumeomai literally means he's wrestling with these things. The wrestling is, I don't know what to do. Have you been there before? That's what it is. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what the answer is. Being a just man, no doubt, he said, God help me. God, I don't know what to do. Do I believe her? She's talking about angels. She's talking about Holy Spirit. She's talking about Messiah. Listen, I know what my buddies are gonna think. I know what my parents are gonna think. I don't know what to do. No doubt, based on what he receives, James says when we lack wisdom, we should ask. And God gives generously without finding faults. And so he needs wisdom, and no doubt in his time of quiet fighting of his own emotions and struggle, he considered these things and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He exhausted himself with all of this. He fell asleep and a dream comes and it says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. So what's Joseph supposed to do in the chaotic moments of his life and in the chaotic moments of our life, we need to listen and lean on God's leading. We need to listen and lean on God's leading. He had followed the word of the Lord that was written in the law of Moses. Now he was going to hear audibly the word of the Lord through a dream. Now right away, what do we do with dreams? Well, I'm here to tell you that while dreams are used all throughout the Bible, in significant ways, the question we have to ask is, can God still use dreams today? And I would say this, I think he can, and here's why. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say that dreams have come to an end. Now, we have things that those people didn't have and that's the completed scriptures. And I've personally had a dream in, in someone else's life confirm something that they had no idea about. And so I've experienced that, but I would say this, if you're gonna base your decision on a dream, it better be confirmed by the Holy Scriptures. Because dreams have a way of getting the best of us. But here we have a confirmation, I believe, 
And I know scholars would be in agreement with me that what made this dream so powerful wasn't the vision, but was the confirmation of what had been said. Many scholars believe very, very clearly what he heard in the dream were Mary's own words. It was confirmation that what was happening was that Mary had said something to the effect of, you are to take me as your wife, for what is conceived in me is from the Holy Spirit. I'm to bear a son, and he is to give a, we are to give him the name Jesus. And the angel appears and, and no doubt confirms that message to Joseph. So Joseph gets up, and the dream is clear and it's significant. What Mary said was true. What she said was right. So he believes. He trusts the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we don't need dreams, but we've got the written word of God here. Do we trust it? Are we listening to it? Are we allowing it to lead us? Do we lean on this book? Do we lean on it in the good times and the bad, the times that make sense and the times that don't? Do we trust God in his word? Joseph trusted God. And notice, how do we know that he trusted? Did he get up and say, yeah, I trust? Notice what the text says. This is the great litmus test of our trust. He woke up, it says, after hearing all this, verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. You want to know if you trust God? Are you doing what he tells you to do? That's the third point today. Trusting God involves doing what he tells you to do. Are you doing that? Don't tell people, don't tell yourself, don't tell God that you trust him and that when he says something, you do the opposite. Joseph did everything that he was commanded to do. Well, what was he commanded to do? Three things. He was commanded three things to do. First of all, he was to take Mary as his wife. Check. Second, he was to believe that what God was doing was unlike anything that God had ever done before. Check. And he was finally to name this boy Jesus. Check. He was able to trust God. Now I think what is amazing in this is the prophecy that is shared is as if Joseph knew the prophecy. Being a just man, being a man of God's law, he knew what the prophet said. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Pause. How awesome is it that the very verse that prophesies the coming of Jesus would use a title of God that we need to trust God more. For some of us, we don't trust God because we say God is far off. That proximity test has God far, far away. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't know about me. He isn't concerned about me. But here the text says God does care about you. God is concerned with you. God is close to you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. You can trust him. You can go to him. You can rely on him. You can cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Joseph knew this and he trusted God and he did what Emmanuel told him to do. 
can that be said of us this morning? That in the quiet and chaotic moments of life, we trust. We trust by leaning and listening to God's leading through his word and maybe even through other mechanisms. And do we do what the word of God tells us to? Are we doing it?